listening to The Venue Podcast. The Venue is a worship gathering at Southcrest Baptist Church. We hope that this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. If you have your Bible, turn to the book of Romans. And we're starting today our April series called This Changes Everything. It's kind of centered around Easter, uh, but five different weeks looking at really the cross and the, and the empty grave and what that means for us. I want to ask a question. But what is it about the cross of Jesus that is so significant? Like we sing about it all the time. We talk about it. You read about it, certainly in the Bible, but even in other books. What is it for, for believers? What is it that makes the cross so significant? That's right. The, the, the depth of it and the death. Is that what you said? Yes, sir. Absolutely. And you know, to, to really get the full picture, you've got to have some context, right? It's interesting in, in Romans, Paul, he writes Romans 1 through really uh, the first half of chapter 3, and he gives context. He's building up to answer the question, what, why is it so significant? What makes it so amazing? You know, context matters. You could walk into the, the greatest movie of all time but if you walked into right when the climax of the movie is happening and you didn't know what had happened before that point, it would be kind of lost on you, right? Like you would, you would miss that moment. Or anybody watch the FAU uh, San Diego State game yesterday? A little March Madness, or I guess now April Madness, right? But uh, my wife and I, Lauren, we were, being that we grew up in Florida, we were cheering for FAU and we had watched the whole game and they looked like they were gonna win. They were up by like, five or six with like a minute and a half to go, I think. Well, about that time, God bless AT&T, but our Wi-Fi messed up. And so it messed up. And I'm like, I mean, the kids are asking me all these questions and I feel like I'm just like, I can't talk to you right now. I'm trying to fix the TV, right? Well, when it finally came back on, literally what it comes back onto is a slow motion picture or video, slow motion video of the San Diego State guy, his last name was Butler, making a shot as the shot clock expired, that's all I knew. So I was like, oh man, that must be an important shot. Well, finally do some Googling. And yes, it was an important shot because that was the game winning shot. RIP FAU, right? We didn't have context. So in that moment, when I saw it was really a crazy shot, it was kind of lost on me how significant it was because I didn't have context. Paul gives us context for the cross in Romans 1 through and so just to get some context, I want us to read some of those passages. So first look at Romans uh, chapter one, verse 18. <clears throat> Excuse me. He says, for God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Since what can be known about God is evident among them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, that is, eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, <clears throat> being understood through what he has made. As a result, people are without excuse. For though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. Now, for the sake of time, jump down to verse 28. He says, and because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, God delivered them over to a corrupt mind so that they do what is not right. They're filled with unrighteousness, evil, greed, and wickedness. 
They are full of envy, murder, quarrels, deceit, and malice. They are gossip, slanderers, God-haters, arrogant, proud, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, senseless, untrustworthy, unloving, and unmerciful. Although they, knew, although they know God's just sentence that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but even applaud others who practice them. I call this party hat living. We have the party hat picture up there. Yeah, this is everybody. Isn't that a great picture? It's very high quality, okay? <laughs> Just kidding. Everybody, every single human is prone to party hat living, living as if God doesn't exist, living as if there's no authority. So we kind of, we kind of live our lives as if, as if God's away and Oh, kind of like when your parents are away, you just can't do what you want because there's no one there to tell you any different. He's saying all of us live this way. All of us on our own. He says in verse 18, we're under God's wrath because of this, because we just kind of do what we want. Now, I want to look at another type of living. Look at chapter three, verse nine. He's been talking about the Jews, the Jewish people, God's people, we think about the Old Testament, ethnic Jews. And here's what he says. What then? Are we any better off? Not at all. For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. Now, that right, the word righteous and righteousness is going to come up again. I want to give you a definition. Righteousness is being in right relationship with God. You could even, you could think of it as proper. So don't be confused about right. But it's, it's being in proper, being in right relationship with God. So loving God as you're supposed to, but also loving people as you're supposed to. He says, there's no one righteous. So if I took a poll and said, raise your hand if you think you are a righteous person and you raised your hand, the Bible says either you're a liar or you're very confused, which neither one of those are good, right? No one is righteous. No one's in right relationship with God. Verse 11. There's no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. All alike have become worthless. There's no one who does what is good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They deceive with their tongues. Viper's venom is under their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and wretchedness are in their paths. And the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. I call this the hall pass living. So think of, you remember in school, you get a hall pass. And when you got a hall pass, you felt like you could do whatever you want and no one could tell you any different. You know what I'm talking about? Someone stops you in the, hall, in the hallway and you're like, oh, excuse me, sucker, I got a hall pass, right? Go where I want, do what I want because I have a hall pass. I think a lot of us, we, even if you're not a Jew, which I'm gonna think it's safe to bet that the, everyone in here is, a Gentile and, and not a Jew of ethnicity, but all of us tend to have that hall pass mentality of, well, because of who I am, God will give me a pass. It'll all be good. So, you know, I, like, Lord, you know, I was born in the great state of Texas and that is God's country. So surely I'm going to be okay with you, God, right? Which I, as a Floridian, I don't get to use that hall pass. I'm out of luck. <laughs> or maybe the, the hall pass of a, uh, Lord, I, Lord, you know, I vote a Republican. So let me, let me get the hall pass real quick. <laughs> Or maybe my, my daddy was a preacher. My great-grandfather was, was always a, a, in a Baptist church. Paul's saying, it doesn't, 
it doesn't matter. Like you, you don't get a hall pass. You're, you're under sin just like everybody else, no matter your ethnicity or no matter uh, your family background. You're, you're a sinner. One more to look at. Verse 19, he says, now we know, I'm still in chapter three, verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are subject to the law so that every mouth may be shut and the whole world may become subject to God's judgment. For no one will be justified in his sight by the works of the law, because the knowledge of sin comes through the law. So this is hamster wheel living. So think about someone on a hamster, or something on a hand, not someone, a hamster on a hamster wheel. They're spinning, 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 and they're getting nowhere. All that energy. He says, you can try to keep the law, but no one will be justified in God's sight by the works of the law. Now, again, I, I don't, I don't, I'm sure we have Jewish people in Lubbock, but I don't personally know any. And I would assume most of you, you're not trying to actually live out and carry out the, the Mosaic law. I think it's a safe bet for me to make. But so many of us live a law mindset in our relationship with God. Even people that, that are not Christians, they wouldn't say they're a religious or Christian person. They still live this, this, this life of, if I do enough and do it right, then God will love me. Then God will accept me. And, and Paul's saying, you can keep spinning those wheels as much as you want, but it's not gonna get you anywhere because no one will be justified in his sight by the works of the law. Whether it is party hat living, hall pass living, or hamster wheel living, all of us on our own are hopeless and headed to hell. All of us on our own are sinners under the wrath of God, deserving of judgment and condemnation. That, that's who we are. If you ever, ever bought a diamond, did some jewelry shopping, which I do not do much of, but I remember uh, when... when went to get Lauren's engagement ring and we're shopping and she went with me. Um, maybe you have that experience. I remember when we're looking for diamonds, they would put the diamond on a black cloth. At first I thought it was weird, but what they were doing is the black cloth helped the diamond shine all the, well, it, it didn't change the diamond, but it helped you see how amazing that diamond was. It helped you see how beautiful it was. See so what Paul's been doing in Romans 1 through 3, through halfway through chapter three, is he's putting the, giving you this black cloth of our sin and shame to then put the cross of Christ on and help you see just inc how incredible and beautiful and majestic it is. See, a lot of people in our culture today, a lot of churches wanna get rid of the black cloth and say, oh, God just loves you, don't talk about sin. When you do that, you miss out on the significance of who Jesus is and what he did for you. See, a biblical perspective is like, no, don't, don't throw away the idea of sin because when you do, you're missing out on how amazing Jesus is. I remember when we were at uh, Thacker Jewelry, it was like 13 years ago, but we uh, were talking to the gentleman there and he said, all right, young man, if you're gonna understand the worth of that diamond, the significance of that diamond, you need to know some words. I was like, is, what? I didn't know I was going to school. What's happened? I was just buying some jewelry. He said, you need to know four words, color, Clarity, carrot, and cut. And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. And he, he unpacked it for me. And by unpacking those four words, 
He helped give me clarity, no pun intended, on how amazing the different diamonds were that I was looking at. And the text we're about to read, there are three words that if you're going to understand the worth of the gospel, the worth of the cross of Jesus Christ and how beautiful it is, you've got to understand. Let's read it and I'm gonna point these three out to you. Chapter three, verse 21. So we've got the context, we've got the background. And he says, but now, apart from the law, so no hamster wheels here, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed. So now a proper relationship with God, a right relationship with God, a way to have that has been revealed. You didn't earn it. You didn't make it happen. No, he said it's been revealed because God did this. He says, it's attested by the law and the prophets. So this is what the Old Testament always pointed us to anyways. What is it? The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. All of us on our own are hopeless and headed to hell but because of Jesus, we can have a relationship with God. He says it's available to all who believe since there is no distinction. So again, he says there's no distinction. Whether you've been party hat living, uh, hall pass living, or hamster wheel living, you're all under the wrath of God and your only hope is Jesus Christ. Verse 23, he unpacks a little bit more. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, of the majesty, of the brilliance, of the perfection of God. They are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. God presented him as the mercy seat or propitiation, we'll come back to that in a minute, by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his restraint, God passed over the sins previously committed. God presented him to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just and justified the one who has faith in Jesus. So just to make sure we're clear, the backdrop, man, it's our sin, it's our shame. The diamond, who, what is the diamond? It's the cross of Jesus Christ. And now, what are the three words? I get four for diamonds, but three in the text. What are the three words that, if we'll understand, help us understand the worth, the significance of what Christ has done for us? The first one is justification. Justification. And here's the first point. Through Jesus' death, he is our justification. Through Jesus' death, he is our justification. Now, let me give you a word we don't use a lot. Let me give you a definition for that. Justification is this. God declares me righteous, crediting to me the righteousness of Jesus or crediting the righteousness of Jesus to me. So this is a legal happening, right? The, the, the scene here is a courtroom that God is declaring those who believe in him as righteous. And it's so important to understand, this is not that God is going, you know what? Actually, you people aren't that bad after all. I'll just forgive you. I'll just declare you righteous. It'll all be good. No, that's not what's happening. He says that Jesus was presented, and in verse 26, God presented him, God the Son, Jesus, to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just and justify the one who has faith in him. So if a judge declares a, a proven convict, a proven felon, if he declares him just and righteous and forgiven, 
just because like, you know what? I don't really care. I'll just forgive him. Then the judge is not just. Correct? You're tracking with me? Like to think, think of anything that happens in our society where you know it was a wrong, there was a perpetrator. If a judge is like, ah, it's not a big deal, we would say, get rid of that judge. It's not just. So how can God be just and justify known, proven sinners? He just spent, Paul just spent three chapters talking about how sinful we are. How can he do it? It's because Jesus served the sentence that we deserved by dying on the cross for our sins. And in what theologians call a great exchange, he took our punishment, our sin, and places on us his perfection, his righteousness. So now God the judge can look and say, you know what? That sentence has been served. Brandon, as sinful as you are, because your sentence has been served, you are free to go, not guilty. Amen. (laughs) It's why... Paul can say in Romans chapter eight, therefore there's now no condemnation for who? For those who are in Christ Jesus. It's not just there's no condemnation. It's all good. God is love. No, it's God is love. But your only hope for not being condemned to hell is in Jesus because he served your sentence. Jesus is your justification. Charles Haddon Spurgeon when he would talk about justification, he often referred to a painting. We can put that up on the screen and it's called Awaiting the Verdict. See the man on the left there as we look at the screen, that's apparently the one waiting the verdict and you see his family there looking concerned for him and the the jury down, the judge down the hallway. So many of us live our lives looking like the man that's waiting for the verdict of what does God think of me? And what do other people think of me? What are they gonna say about me? And what Paul's saying is this, if you are in Christ Jesus and he is your justification, you know what the verdict is. It is that you are forgiven and free and there's no condemnation for you because Jesus served your sentence. So you don't have to wait and wonder, oh, what is is gonna happen when I stand before God? No. If you're in Christ, he's already declared that you are justified. Oh, what are are other people gonna say about me? Who cares what other people say about you if God says that you are forgiven and justified in Jesus Christ? He is our justification. I love what, excuse me, one commentator says, he's not declaring bad people to be good or saying that, oh, they're not sinners after all. No, he's pronouncing them legally righteous, free from any liability to the broken law because he himself in his son has borne the penalty of our law-breaking. Amen. Jesus is your justification. Second word we gotta know, propitiation. That's a harder one to spell, right? P-R-O-P-I-T-I-A-T-I-O-N. Through Jesus' death, he is our propitiation. And I wanna, I wanna give you the definition and we'll look back at the text. Propitiation is this. I will not experience the wrath of God because Jesus experienced the wrath of God for me. I will not experience the wrath of God because Jesus experienced, he endured the wrath of God for me. So excuse me, propitiation, told you it's hard to say. Propitiation is the appeasing the satisfaction of wrath through a gift or through a sacrifice. 
A lot of people don't like the idea of wrath, of thinking about God as being wrathful and angry at sin. Y'all, if God is not angry at sin, then he's not God. Like, I wanna think back to what we talked about earlier and think back to this past Monday. If God wasn't mad about a woman going into a church and killing innocent children, then, then he's not God. Then he's not just. He doesn't care about righteousness. No, God to be God, by definition, has to care about what is right and what is wrong. Like, if you could watch the news on Monday and not have some anger stirred in your heart and some sorrow, I, I don't know what to tell you. God is right in his righteous anger and his wrath towards sin. The late John Stott defined God's wrath this way. The wrath of God is his steady, unrelenting, unremitting, uncompromising antagonism to evil in all its forms and manifestations, including ours. He hates sin. He's wrathful toward sin. It must be punished. And if it's not, he's not a just God. It must be punished. His anger must be poured out. It's interesting that the ESV in verse 25 says God presented him as the propitiation, which is a great translation. The CSB, I think also is a great translation. It says God presented him as the mercy seat by his blood through faith. The mercy seat. Why why does it say mercy seat? Propitiation, I like it because once you know it, it's a a simple word. I mean, you can remember what it means. Um, But also I like the CSB saying mercy seat for this reason. The Septuagint, which is what the people in in Paul's time would have been reading for the Old Testament. This word here that Paul uses uh, for mercy seat is the same word that would be used in the Old Testament, mercy seat, which described the lid, the covering on the Ark of the Covenant. So think Indiana Jones, Ark of the Covenant. I really don't think that, okay, it's not helpful. But think about the Ark of the Covenant um, in the Holy of Holies. And on, the Ark, on top of the Ark of the Covenant was the, what they called the mercy seat, what the Bible calls the mercy seat. And it's taught in, that God's presence resided there on the mercy seat. And once a year on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would go in because of the people's sins, their known sins, their unknown sins, sins of commission, sins of omission, the high priest would go in to the Holy of Holies, to the Ark of the Covenant, and sprinkle blood on the mercy seat to appease the wrath of God. So that rather than God's wrath being poured out on the people because of their sin, it was appeased, it was satisfied by the sacrifice on the mercy seat. So they understood that the mercy seat was the place where God's wrath was satisfied. So instead of being poured out on them, it was satisfied through the sacrifice. Y'all tracking with me? So by saying that, by Paul saying he is our, Jesus is our propitiation, he is our mercy seat, quite literally, he's saying Jesus is the place where God's wrath is satisfied so you don't have to experience it. Jesus is the place where God's grace and wrath collide. More specifically, the cross of Jesus is where his grace and wrath collide because by his grace, not being, excuse me, by his wrath being poured out on Jesus, we now get to experience the grace of God poured out on us. 
And it's important that you understand propitiation is not just a turning away of God's wrath. It's that Jesus literally experienced it for you. It's not that Jesus was like, hold on, God, like, don't put that on them. No, Jesus said, hey, pour out all your wrath on me so you don't have to pour it out on them. I love what Jerry Bridges, uh, Pastor Jerry Bridges says about this. He says, it was not merely deflected and prevented from reaching us. It was exhausted. Jesus bore the full unmitigated brunt of it. God's wrath against sin was unleashed in all its fury on his beloved son. He held nothing back. So now he has no wrath to pour out on us if we are in Jesus Christ. My old pastor, I grew up under Tim Patterson. He always described propitiation as thinking of a boiling pot of water. And as before it was poured out in wrath, deservedly on us, on us, Jesus on the cross is pushing us aside saying, Father, pour out your wrath on me so you can pour out your grace on them. Jesus, through his death, is our propitiation. We don't have to endure death, hell, and damnation and separation from God for eternity because Jesus experienced those for us. We can rest, rejoice in his sacrifice. What was the sacrifice? It says it was, he was the mercy seat. He was the propitiation through his blood, by his blood. That's how he paid the sacrifice to turn away God's wrath. So we've got justification, propitiation, and one more. Sounds a little more familiar to you, maybe. Redemption. Redemption. Redemption is this. Jesus paid the price to set me free from the penalty and the power of sin. So all throughout the scriptures, and we even know this in today, today's terms, redemption is, is paying a price that provides freedom to someone. So in the first word, justification, you had kind of a, a courtroom scene. In propitiation, you have a temple scene. In the third scene, you have a marketplace, particularly a slave market. That all of us, this idea of redemption is that all of us, because of our sin, Romans 1 through 3, because of our sin, because of our rebellion against God, all of us are enslaved to ourselves, to our sin, and to Satan. As Ephesians 2 says, we were all, before Christ, all of us are following the prince of the power of this heir, Satan himself. But the text says that all of sin and fall short of the glory of God, but they're justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So how are we redeemed? It's through the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ. He paid the price to set us free from the penalty and the power of sin. So I no longer, you no longer, if you're in Christ, have to walk enslaved to your passions, enslaved to your flesh. And you no longer have to know that hell is your destination. You can know that you are set free from your sin and set free to have eternity with God because of the price Jesus paid. He is your redemption. And it's, it's freely. So he says it's freely through his grace in verse 24. So it cost you nothing, but it cost him everything. Even though you didn't deserve it, even though I don't deserve it, he paid it all to get us back so we can have a relationship with him. It makes me think of a book in the Old Testament. You don't have to turn there, but the book of Hosea. I remember the first time I read Hosea in college, I was like, I cannot believe this is in the Bible. If you're wondering why I'm saying that, I'll tell you. So in Hosea, to give the people 
a picture of who God was and who they were, God told Hosea, the prophet, to go and marry a prostitute. That's why I was like, marry a what? God told Hosea to go and marry a prostitute. Her name was Gomer. They get married. Things are great. But she, just like us, in our relationship with God, supposed to be perfect. But no, she chose sin. She turned away from Hosea and chose to find pleasure and joy and purpose and being a prostitute, running after other men. And Hosea, as a picture of what God does for us in redemption, Hosea pursued and chased down Gomer. Even the text says that he wooed her back. So he dated her and began to bring, show his affection to her. And he eventually bought her from another man to redeem her back to himself. And in so doing, freed her from her own stupidity, her own passions, from slavery to another one, to, from slavery to a destination of torment of a terrible life. He freed her by paying a price to bring her back to himself, to have a relationship with him, the one who truly loved her, flaws and all. It wasn't because she was worthy and she was so beautiful. No, in spite of her unworthiness, the beauty of it is, in spite of her sin, in spite of her rebellion, Hosea pursued her to redeem her, to bring her back. Well, that's the picture of the gospel, that all of us have sinned and like sheep gone our own way and strayed against God. But in spite of that, he came to redeem us from sin to self, from selfishness, from sin, from eternity in hell. He redeemed us to have relationship with him, have eternity with him, and know the joy of walking in relationship with, relationship with God, even on this earth. And the price was his own blood. Free to you cost him everything. Jesus is our justification, our propitiation, and our redemption. Well, man, how do I get on that? Like, how, do I, how do I get in on that? How do I have that? How do I receive that? I know it's not the hamster wheel. I know it's not just partying it up. I know it's not, I have a hall pass. How do I get in on it? Over and over again in the text, what does he say? It's faith. It's not what you do. It's trusting and resting in what he did for you. Look at verse 22. The righteousness of God is through, say it with me, faith. Verse 25. God presented him as the mercy seat by his blood that we received through faith. The end of verse 26. He presented Jesus to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just and justified, the one who has faith in Jesus. How do you be declared righteous? How can you have the wrath of God turned away from you? How can you have a relationship with God and be redeemed through faith in Jesus? I love how the late Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones described faith. He said, the man who has faith is the man who is no longer looking at himself and no longer looking to himself. He no longer looks at anything he once was. He does not look at what he is now or what he hopes to be. No, he looks entirely to the Lord Jesus Christ and his finished work and rest on that alone. See, faith is coming to God with empty hands because that's really all you have. It's coming to God with empty hands and a heart that says, Jesus, I, I trust you. I'm a broken mess, but you gave your life to save me anyways. And in you, Jesus, I can have forgiveness and life. So Jesus, I receive your salvation. I believe in you. 
and I want to follow you. Would you be in charge of my life? Lord says, the Bible says that when you, when that's the posture of your heart, when that's your prayer from your heart, that he saves you, that he justifies you, that he turns away his wrath and he redeems you in that moment. Not because you did something, no, but you receive his gift. Think about a proposal, the guy on that knee with that diamond, like the girl just has to receive it, right? Like he's, he's paid a lot of money for that diamond <laughs> and she just has to receive it. See, that's, that's our relationship with God. It's just faith. It's just, Jesus, I see what you did. You humbled yourself. <laughs> I received this gift. We're gonna have a moment to respond in a moment. There's gonna be some ministers down front. If you know Jesus, you've received that gift, then the response is not to just go, man, that was cool. I learned some new words today. I appreciate that. The, the response is to rejoice in what Christ has done for us, to see the significance of the cross and praise and to rest in our hearts. And man, thank you, God, for who you are. So as we sing in just a moment, maybe, maybe the response for you is just to stand and sing and praise God. Maybe it's to come down front and just get on your knees and humble yourself. And Jesus, thank you for what you did for me. Thank you for the cross. Maybe it's to come and, and, and just say, Lord, would you remind me of the brokenness of my own heart so that I can rejoice in how beautiful the cross is? Or, or maybe it's to come and there'll be, like, so there'll be some folks down front. Maybe it's to come and just say, hey, would you pray for me? I feel like I've lost my joy for the Lord and I, don't, I wanna celebrate in the significance of the cross. If you don't know Jesus and party hat living's not getting you anywhere, Hall pass is certainly not getting anywhere and get on the hamster wheel of religion is not gonna help you. Jesus is inviting you to turn to him for salvation this morning. If you just, again, turn from your sin, Jesus, I, I receive your free gift. Would you save me? And that is his heart's desire. Why would you wait another moment? Today, the Bible says, today is the day of salvation. Don't put it off any longer. There'll be some, again, some folks up front, if, if you in this moment are trusting Jesus and saying, Jesus, I believe in you. Would you save me? Be, in, be the Lord of my life. They would love to celebrate with it, that with you. They would love to pray with you or answer any questions you have you need on clarity and they're here for you. I'm gonna pray for us and then we're gonna stand and sing and respond as God leads us. Jesus, thank you for the fact that you came to save us even in our mess. Lord, help us to live in the joy that comes with being, knowing that we have been declared forgiven and declared righteous because of you, not because of us. Jesus, help us to, to walk in the joy of knowing your wrath has been turned away and now your grace has been poured out on us. And Lord, will we walk daily in the relationship that we get to have because you set us free from our sin to walk with you. God, with this song as we sing, would, it, would you stir our affection for you? Would you remind us of the cross? And Lord, for those that don't know you, would you draw them to yourself right now? God, we love you. Help us to respond boldly. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray, amen. If you were encouraged by today's message, subscribe and rate us wherever you stream your podcasts. To learn more about the venue at Southcrest, visit us online at southcrest.org or on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Southcrest Baptist Church. 